You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. What is happening? It's on the You're listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Jason Dowd, and for the next hour, we're going to be talking about everything that's art, music, and entertainment, and everything in between. Well, maybe not everything in between, but we'll try. Now, we have some great guests coming up today. We have Tim James. He is a musician. He's going to be here talking about his career, his art, and his music, so we got so much coming up with him. We also have Vic Ferrari. He was a former NYPD cop, and he's the author of a book called Dickheads and Debauchery, and it's basically about ways that you could possibly die, and he's probably seen just about everything that there is to see. I know I probably tried some of those things myself, and luckily I'm still here, so uh, this is going to be a fun interview coming up. Now, if you guys want to try out or miss anything that we've ever had on our shows, television, radio, or our magazine, all you have to do is go to www.theamemagazine.com. It's there for you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, and we absolutely will never charge one cent for you to see it. Uh, that's our, that's our, this is our passion, and we want you to take full advantage of it. Also, if you're on any type of social media, we are there too. Follow us on Facebook.com forward slash The AME Experience. Also, Twitter is at Dowd Studios. So if you ever get a chance to go on there, check us out, like us, share us, do whatever it takes to get the conversation out. That's what we want to do. We want to reach as many people as we can and inspire them to try some type of artwork. Uh, And remember, art comes in different forms. It's not just painting and watercolors or anything like that. We got sculpting. We have theatrical arts. We have uh, performing arts. We have street art. We have culinary arts and literary arts and so many different things out there. So get out there and try something new. That's what we're here. That's what you need to do. And it's therapeutic and it helps make the world around you a better place to live for not only you, but for everybody else. It's really a win-win situation. Okay, guys, so before we get into anything, I want to quickly talk about a thing called censorship versus parenting. Now, when I was growing up in the early 90s, rap was starting to come out and become one of the most popular of all genres out there. The problem with it was it had a lot of explicit lyrics. Now, the explicit lyrics weren't necessarily just swear words. It was how they were presenting some type of information. For instance, they were glorifying alcohol, drugs, sex, um, On top of that, you know, you had the swear words and everything in between. And at this point in time, America wasn't quite used to this. I mean, we used to hear gosh jolly, you know, on television shows, and that was considered swearing. Now, what we hear on the radio and what we hear on the television today is is completely tame to what I grew up with. So one, one of the things that we used to have growing up was this little parental advisory label that would be stuck on anything that had you know explicit lyrics, talked about drugs, alcohol, and everything else. And one of the things wa- was that there was a big movement that they wanted that type of music stricken from the shelves, mainly because of the fact it was a bad influence on children. Now, when you look at children today, obviously what ended up happening back then was that the the challenge lost, and they could not censor those type of people. They could put the label on there to warn you, just like cigarettes do, but 
that doesn't stop them from listening to the music. Now, when they actually had music that went on the, the radio, it had to have a clean version. So you had to strip out all the 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 the, um, the rape stuff that they would talk about, the murder and, and the, the swear words. But this kind of then expanded past just hip-hop and R&B. It went into heavy metal. It went into alternative rock. It went into all different kinds of things. It really became what people said was the devil's music. And for obvious reasons, you can see why. It glorified things that even to this day are considered uh, vile, immoral, and illegal. So when the kids were starting, they were worried about the kids growing up listening to this and and using this as a form of, uh, they they looked at it as a hero. They looked it up to these people. You know, they, they, they took what they said for granted. And they didn't want that. They didn't want that influence on the children. Obviously, like I said, they did lose, and um, the the lyrics were allowed to go out there. Now, you couldn't buy those those CDs until you were 16. You had to be at least 16 before you could buy them without your parent being there, which kind of helps. It's not really a censorship. It's more of a, um, more of a regulation, really, is what it comes down to. However, I have a different outlook on this, and I always have. I grew up around this type of music. I grew up around these types of things, and I heard it. You know, my friends, it was played at every dance that we went to at school. Uh, my friends listened to it. The music videos were absolutely raunchy, uh, lame in, in, in comparison to today, but pretty raunchy. And I turned out okay. And that's because of the fact that my parents, when I listened to some things, sat there, listened to it with me, and explained the difference between right, right and wrong. They actually took the role of what a parent should be and teach the children why this is wrong. What are you listening to? What don't you understand? What makes this so appealing to you? And they listened to me. They listened to, to uh, the, the music. And we came together and we talked. And we became really what a family should be. It's so important to parent your child because it's not necessarily the art because the art is an expression. It's how you help your children receive that expression. Now, if you don't care, and they just see that this is so grand, you know, going out there and having tons of money and beating up on women and and putting people down because of this and, you know, carrying a gun and going around shooting up people and stealing is good things, well, then that's what you've allowed it to happen. Everything that we do in life is trained. You know, racism is trained. It's You're not born racist. You're not born a womanizer. You're not born a woman hater. You're not born uh, a race, a, a, a religion hater. You are then taught that along the way. That's very important for us to remember. So just because you are trying to censor things, you can't censor the world. That's the problem. The world is a bad place. And when we try to just wipe out everything that we consider to be bad, it breaks down our immune system too. And that's what a big problem that we're running into today. Everything's got to be censored, 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 censored. Take it out. Uh, you know, it, if you see a picture that you don't like and it offends you, we gotta we gotta ban it. We gotta censor it. We gotta do something. But it doesn't allow us to be strong. And the music allowed me to be a stronger person because I learned along the way. And my parents helped me understand what I was listening to, why it was wrong, why it was good, and it doesn't it didn't affect me like a, it like it did other people. Parenting, 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 parenting. I cannot express this enough. Censorship is wrong. However, as a parent, you have that right to censor your child from it. But I say expose them to it. Let them see what it is. Let them make their own 
perception of what they are listening to and determine whether it's right or wrong. And I want you to sit there and do the same thing. Same thing that goes with regular art. It doesn't have to just be music. It can be anything that's out there that people find offensive. Expose yourself to it and find out and teach your child why it's wrong. Let them understand that this is out there. This is where you got to protect yourself from and stand up to it. A lot of the kids that are out there today don't understand what they're fighting. They just feel that it's censorship, that, that, that they're being offended by something, so therefore it needs to be completely wiped out. Let's take a better stance at it. Let's join together, protect the rights to say whatever it may be, to show whatever it may be, because that's their right to express that, but also teach the difference between right or wrong with our family, our children, our neighbors, and anybody that we come in contact to. Set a good example. That's the best part I can tell you to do in order to help raise your child or the people around you to accept the bad that's out there. Everything I've ever said in my artwork, everything is between, there's got to be a balance between good and bad. If we have too much good, it's bad. And if you have too much bad, it's bad. You need to balance it to have a well-rounded experience in life. That's what I'm going to talk to. That's what I'm going to end with today, guys. I don't believe in censorship, and I think we need to keep that out there. But it doesn't matter what anybody says or what anybody does. We need to be the example. We need to be the teachers. We need to be the guide for those people so that they understand why it's considered wrong and don't glorify it. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we are going to be talking to uh, Tim James and so much more. So don't go anywhere. The AMFM 24-7 Roku channel broadcasts all of our shows on demand. To ensure reliability, we store and stream our content on the same servers as Netflix and Amazon. Our Roku channel is free to use, and anyone owning one of the more than 10 million Roku devices can watch our channel at no cost whatsoever. If you have a television show or are thinking about producing a show, you can be a part of AMFM 24-7's Roku channel. Watch our great shows on your Roku device. It's free and more reliable than cable TV. Are you stuck with a timeshare? Did you attend the presentation and were seduced and enticed into buying that great vacation and investment? Now you're in the terrible position of trying to figure out a way to get out of that mess. You're not alone. For over 15 years, BuyYourTimeshare.com has been helping people like yourself get out of timeshare ownership. The fact is there is no resale market. Unscrupulous telemarketers call you and say they have buyers waiting, and the next thing that happens is you give them hundreds of dollars for an ad, and you'll never hear from them again. Another fact is that an identical timeshare to yours is being offered on eBay for a dollar, and no one is buying it. If you want out of your timeshare, I urge you to go to buyyourtimeshare.com or call them at 877-94-HELP-ME. That number again is 877-94-HELP-ME. Buyyourtimeshare.com. That's buyyourtimeshare.com. 877-94-HELP-ME. 877-94-HELP-ME. A teacher holds the power to make a huge difference in the lives of students. Dee Dee Ritman's new book, Student Teaching, The Inside Scoop from a Master Teacher, will help both new teachers and veteran teachers to be the best teachers they can be, impacting students' lives one day at a time. Available at ddritman.com or amazon.com. Again, that's ddritman.com, D-E-D-E-R-I-T-T-M-A-N.com.
This is Andrea Tanteros from the Fox News Channel and author of the new bestseller, Tied Up in Knots. You're listening to AME Radio. All right, guys, we are back, and we have on the line with me a very special guest. His name is Tim James. He is a singer, songwriter, he's an artist, he's a performer, and he's a keynote speaker, and he's done some really great work with some really important people in the music industry. Welcome to the show, Tim James. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I appreciate you having me. Oh, you're welcome. So let's kind of get started with you and how you got into music to begin with. What age were you at when you started to want to play instruments? You know, uh, my story is somewhat unique in the sense that uh, I did not play an instrument as a kid. I came from a musical family, but at the uh, wise old age of 23, I decided, having never been on an airplane, I would get on a plane and go to L.A. And uh, I grew up 25 miles south of Nashville in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. But I decided to go to L.A., so I took a really long way back home. But I didn't really pick up an instrument truthfully, until I was about 30 years old. Hmm. Interesting. What was what was that uh, music uh, instrument that you decided to try? I played a guitar. You know, I had always written lyrics. I had always written songs sort of in my head. But at some point, I think as a songwriter, you've got to get to a place where you can communicate what's in your head, and if you, especially if you want to write songs. So uh, I just realized that I couldn't really write, there are lyricists, don't get me wrong, but I decided I wanted to dictate how it felt and how it sounded, so I sat down with a guitar at uh, about 30 and said, I'm going to learn to play the guitar, and some people would argue that I still have not done a very good job of learning it, but <laughs> I play and, <laughs> and I sing, and I, I just decided I wanted to put my thoughts into song, and uh, so I set out on that path, and, and here I am today. That's awesome. You know, I had a funny story when I was learning to play an instrument. I was about eight years old, and my mom got me an alto saxophone. And I really liked the saxophone. I really did. And I started working on uh, private lessons, and I was with this one guy, and he kind of looked like that's like the um, the comic book guy on The Simpsons, and he kind of talked like him, too. He's a really weird guy. And uh, I came in for my second lesson, right? It was in the middle of December, cold, snow all over the place. And uh, he got really frustrated with me because he goes, you're not, you're not picking it up fast enough. You're not doing the job. I said, he goes, you're not practicing. I said, this is my second, you know, uh, my second lesson here. You know, give me a little bit of a break. I, was, I had eight years old. I, was, I didn't have big hands to go all the way down and up it. So I'm learning. And he got so upset, he kicked me out. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I honestly, for some unknown reason, that really put a big kibosh on me. And I really hate that because... I really love the idea of playing musical instruments. I love I love the classical ones, the, the saxophones, the flutes, the, the violinists, but I also love the bass guitar. I, if I had a chance to play a guitar, I think it would be a bass guitar. Yeah. You know, I, I, same for me. I was not good at uh, taking direction. One of my friends the other day said, you know, you could have joined the military at 19, and I was like, buddy, I didn't like getting yelled at, period, much less by a drill instructor, but I um, never took lessons. I just picked it up, and as with most other things, uh, I taught myself. And, I, you know, I've always told people one of the most important words I heard in my life was no. Uh, everything I tried to do up until I had my first number one song, most people said, you know, you just probably don't want to quit your day job for that. And I had a day job. I was After I lived in California for a while, I, I got into sales. I eventually got into pharmaceutical sales, and I sold Robitussin out of the back of my trunk. And... Um, 
I one day decided I just don't want to do this. This is not what I was put on earth to do. And I was in a sales meeting, and uh, uh, prior to that, and the guy that was teaching the sales meeting walked over and looked at what I was doing, and I had been scribbling lyrics as opposed to making notes about the latest cardiovascular drug. And um, that was it. Yeah, that was a sign for me. I said, you know, I've got to, I've got to chase the dream. I got to pursue my passion. So, again, against most everybody's advice, uh, I decided, you know, I'm going to try to write songs. And uh, like I said, I'd already been playing the guitar for a few years, but at 30, probably 34, 35, I started making trips back from LA to Murfreesboro, which is my hometown, which is, as I said, 25 miles south of Nashville, and. You'd be surprised. Well, you probably wouldn't, but so many people uh, tell us in the entertainment business, you know, yeah, the chances are just slim and none. Mm-hmm. And I realize that, and I know they—they they, looking back, they were, and I'm sure they're even lesser now. But who is anybody to tell anybody else they can't chase their dreams? So I decided, you know, failure was uh, not not making it. Failure was not trying. So I just said, I've got to, I've got to chase this. I've got to go after it. And uh, at a age when most people are out of the music business. Uh, I had my first number one song at 40, and uh, I've been fortunate to have a few more since. So. That's amazing. Cause, you know, I hear so many, uh, so many negative things about the music industry, and one of the things that I've heard is that you know, the music industry really isn't about the music anymore. It's about the sex appeal and how people listen to you. And, you know, they judge people based upon, oh, well, they, they look hot, they look sexy, and all this other stuff. I mean, look at the boy bands. But as soon as they got to a certain age, they completely dropped off the face of the earth, mainly because they didn't have much talent. But the second part was is that they lost their sex appeal with the, with the children. And they always tell me, when I've talked, to, I've talked to a lot of people in the music industry, they say that if you're over the age of 18 to 24, forget about it. You can't make it so i'm really glad that you never let that passion inside of you uh dwindle out because i know when you're an artist that's you can't you can't you can't contain it and then to sit there and and do a number one hit at the age of 40 that's that's fantastic well thank you you know again i i I didn't i don't know that i had as much talent as the next guy uh but i had the drive and i had the determination and the passion and i came home and i painted houses. I mean, I literally in the hot Tennessee heat uh, for about a year and a half, uh, I painted houses for a living. And again, again, I'm, you know, staring down the barrel of 40 going, this is not pretty. Uh, This is not what I had in mind. I should have played the saxophone. And I just, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have any backup plan. I always figured if I had a plan B, plan B would happen. So I stayed with it. And um, after a couple years of painting houses, I finally got signed to what they call a publishing deal. All songs and all books have a publisher. And so I signed to a publishing deal, and then that company closed within a year and a half. And so now I'm over 40, or right at 40, I should say, and going, what the heck? I mean, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. And I sat down and wrote a song with a friend of mine that I had lived. Um, when I lived in California, I was always a list person. I always made my list of things to do because I realized I'd forget it if I didn't write it down. And I sat down with a guy one day uh, after my dad had had a heart attack, and I said, I've realized that I've got this list, and I'm always writing down the things I need to do, and uh, my list is is skewed. I realized my list, my priorities were all messed up, that I really needed to spend some time with my parents, and I really needed to uh, do the things that were meaningful and start living my life. And so we wrote that song uh, back 
gosh, it's been 17 years ago, 18 years ago now, we wrote that song, My List, which uh, Toby Keith recorded, and after two singles off the album, Pull My Chain, Toby released My List, and um, it went to number one, and it stayed there for five solid weeks, so um, that was my first hit song, and, and I, I've, you talk about the sex appeal of the boy bands, and obviously you've never seen my picture, sex appeal's not, you know, listed as a high <laughs> priority, but... Um, I've, I just have had, I think, the best luck uh, being honest. And that's one of the great things about country music is, and certainly in the old days, it may have changed to some degree, but uh, you could write a song about life and love and happiness and chasing all of the above. And, um, and if it was a great song, that song could get recorded and that song could be a hit and that song could mean something to people. I had a, that song on my list, and then I had a song called Love Like Crazy that Lee Bryce recorded that was the number one song and one Billboard song of the year in 2010. And that's the, the, it's a message song. It says, you know, you my parents were together for 58 years, and uh, although I did ask my dad one time, I said, what did it feel like to be married to my mom for 58 years? And my dad looked up at the beautiful Tennessee sky on a summer day and with a tear in his eye, I said, you know, Tim, it felt like 10 minutes underwater. <laughs> underwater. That's powerful. <laughs> it felt like 10, 10 minutes underwater. But he, uh, but my parents were married for 58 years, and after my dad passed away, I wrote a song with a buddy of mine called Love Like Crazy. And so, um, again, that song is one of those songs that's a message song. And so I've been very fortunate with songs like that, um, and, and I hope to still continue to write them. I, I had a song on Darius Rucker's last album. I had two songs on there. One was called Southern Style, and one was called So I Sang. And So I Sang is a song about uh, why I got in the music business and how I got motivated. And, and uh, I, again, I'm, I'm very blessed to have had the success with those songs. But I, I want people to, to feel like, uh, if it is my job on earth to communicate to people, it's never too late. Mm-hmm. Um it doesn't mean you'll be successful. I'm, there's no guarantee for success, but I, I didn't want to be 60 and look back and go, I just didn't try. And I figured life is too short to not try it. And we've been so conditioned to listen to the, you know, the outside voices and the voices that say, no, you're too old or you don't look right or you don't have a part. And I always wanted to listen to the song inside my head, which is what my, keynote speaking is based on it's called song speak uh, in which i encourage people to to chase your dream and i wrote in hit songs with uh, a motivational talk that says to people go out and try it um again i'm not saying you if you want to be an actor you and you're 50 something years old you can't quit selling insurance and move to new york and, and get on broadway that doesn't mean you can't do community theater on the week mm-hmm. so if you don't try it you'll certainly never know that's true so now that you've been in the country music industry, I have a question for you because I know that this is something that I keep hearing from different people. Some people agree with me. Some people don't agree with me. Um, but this is just something I picked up. Now, that is that the, that the country music is, has lost its identity over the years, and that's because you have a lot of people coming in right now kind of mixing heavy metal, uh, kind of mixing alternative music sounds to it, you know, the heavy the heavy uh, um, metal guitars, the the, uh, the heavy bass guitars, and they've kind of gotten away from what made country so special along the lines. What's your take on that? Well, I, I think that it has to some degree. I think there's still great music out there. Chris Tableton is a friend of mine, and Chris and I have written a ton of songs together. And you know, there's there's music for everybody. Chris put out an album 
couple of years ago, and it has just some stellar songs on it. Uh, if you like traditional country songs, uh, mix with a little Southern rock, Chris is your guy. If you want to latch onto that more hip-hop country style, you know, there's Sam Hunt, and then there's Jason Aldean that does, you know, a little more of a kind of a hip-hop rockin' kind of thing. So there's music for everybody. Uh, I do think that uh, we've gone through phases in country music. Uh, you know, years ago, um, when Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash were putting songs out, they were stone-cold country songs. And then along came um, different type of artists, bands, that started putting out different kind of music. And uh, it's we've always gone through phases. So I think there's, if you look at it as a whole, uh, from a distance, you could easily say, yes, yeah, it's, it's lost its identity some. But it still is the music to me that resonates with people that want to hear a message. Uh, I don't really, to be honest with you, know a lot about pop music or rock and roll anymore. When I was a kid, rock and roll was, you know, a different thing than it is now, too. But uh, I still think country music is, is um, so, um, music about songs. So kind of give me a little bit of insight into the, the music that you worked with Darius Rucker, because I know everybody knows him from Hootie and the Blowfish. I'll get this right <laughs> here in a second. Uh, what was it like working with him? Uh, did you meet him? Did you physically, or did he just buy your song? Uh, what was the songs about, and what made it so special for him to put on his albums? Well, yeah, he is a great guy. Um, I've hung out with Darius quite a few times. Um you know, it's a little bit of a misconception. People say, do they, and trust me, I've been asked that my whole life, certainly by my family more than anybody. Did you sell any of them songs? Uh, people don't really buy songs. People record songs, and then every time that song, if that song sells, if that song is on an album, or if that song is on iTunes, or that song sells. And that's the beauty of a song, is that, for instance, my list, again, was on, an album that initially sold 3 million copies, uh, now between the first album and the, all the greatest hits album Toby's done, my list has been on over 12 million records. So Darius is, uh, I, I think it was a logical um, move for him to go from sort of the rock and roll days to country. He's a, kind of a country guy. And hanging out with him is, is fun. Uh, he's a, a talented songwriter and obviously a great singer we i've written several songs with him and um it just so happened that this last album we had written two songs one that i referenced earlier called so i sang and the other called southern style and darius is a native of uh, charleston south carolina and i'm a native of murfreesboro tennessee the metropolis that it is and um uh, we, myself and Darius and Rivers Rutherford, who was from Memphis, Tennessee, started talking about the girls and, the, and their Southern style. And so we started a song and finished it called Southern Style, which was the title of the album and also the name of the tour. And then the other song was the song called So I Sang, which I had started uh, sitting in my chair at home about two months after my dad died. And um, I had played what I had for Rivers Rutherford, who was a songwriter and a friend of mine one night. And he said, I'm just knocked out by that. And then we played it for Darius. And we were out on the bus with him. And he said, I've got to cut that song. So that's how they ended up on that record. That's awesome. 
So, what type of what type of uh, album are you working on right now? Um, what's the style? What's the feel? What's the story about it? And tell me, tell us a little bit about some of the songs that are more personal to you. Uh, you know, as songwriters, we're always kind of working on something. Um, again, I think a little bit of the misconception is that we, you know, sit up in the attic at two in the morning and drink wine and smoke cigars and come up with something. Uh, I don't have to be sitting in the attic. I can do that at the kitchen table and drink wine and smoke cigars. But uh, I go to an office every day, and I sit down with somebody most of the time and write a song. Nashville's sort of a town, and most most rights, songwriting employments now, are co-writes. So there's more than one person in the room. But I usually sit down with somebody else and uh, start with an idea or a groove or a melody and try to come up with a song. I'm continually working on things. Um, just, you know, I can't name anything specific. I, we just write songs, and then we turn them into our publisher, and they go out there and they try to get them cut. Uh, I've been blessed enough to have a hit on George Strait, which my song plugger um, heard, and I wrote it with another couple of fellows, and we wrote it and turned it in, and she said, I think this is a hit for George Strait. She takes it to George Strait's record label um, and plays it for his A&R person, and they're the listening crew, and he said, this is a smash, I love this song, and then he played it for George Strait, and George Strait, well, I'm going to cut that song. So that's how that happened. Even once you uh, get over that hurdle, um, you've got to then hope to get on the radio, because in the you ask about how the music business has changed. In the old days, albums would sell. Nowadays, it's all iTunes. I mean, when's the last time anybody you know bought an album? Um, and in the old days, people would buy albums, so... Uh, the George Strait thing was turned out to be a single. Anytime you get a song on the radio, it's called a single. So this song was a single and was his 60th number one song on his 60th birthday. So we're always, I'm always working on stuff. Uh, you know, when, when you look up ADD in the dictionary, there's like an 8 by 10 glossy of me. So when I'm talking to other people, when I'm talking to other people, I'm usually drifting off into la-la land trying to come up with some sort of melody or idea. Well, uh, t Tim, this has been amazing, but we are almost out of time. We've got about a minute and a half left, so please tell everybody uh, where they can find you, where they can see some of your work, uh, where they can maybe work with you if they if they want uh, a song written for themselves. Yeah, you can uh, find me. I've got a site. It's timjames.org, and um, you can you know look at my uh, bio and information there. Um, my keynote speaking uh, presentation is called Song Speak, and uh, I have uh, an agent for that, uh, Joanna at 1126 Talent, and um, yeah, I'm out there all the time playing writer shows and um, doing speaking engagements and hope to fire some people up and spread the love. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Tim. This has been great. You've been a great guest. I I thoroughly enjoyed our time here today, and I can I I wish you all the best with everything that you have coming up. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. You too. All right, guys, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we got so much more. So don't go anywhere. Do you love horror, the strange and unusual fantasy creatures, or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd. 
and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. <laughs> This is Big Divitetto. You are listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome back, everybody. We have a great author coming on here. His name is Vic Ferrari, and he wrote a book that absolutely caught my eye. You can't, you you won't be able to forget about it once you hear it. It's called Dickheads and Debauchery. It's basically a book about how people end up shortening their lives by doing stupid things. And I I gotta say, I probably have done about fifteen of these things. I haven't even I haven't even seen all of them yet, but I know I'm I know I'm up in there. Welcome, Vic, to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, Jason. How are you? Good. Um, I was always been fascinated by the show A Thousand and One Ways to Die, and it, it just sometimes makes me wonder what people are thinking. And it looks like you put together a book about that, about uh, things people do that actually shortens their lives. And I'm sure that some of the things we don't even think about, like stress and stuff, but what are some of the things that are, you know, very prevalent that we do that actually shortens our lives? Well, the book isn't to be taken too seriously. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a dark comedy. It's about, um, like you said, the ridiculous things people do to shorten their lives. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's one of these things where there's a lot of sarcasm and a lot of common sense. Um, and I thought to myself after being an NYPD detective and, and cop for 20 years that I had a lot of insight. Well, I'm sure you do. I mean, I, I can only imagine some of the things that you've seen and some of the calls you've been called to. I mean, if we ever watched the the uh, the, the comedy show, um, the A Christmas Story, you know, when he puts his tongue to the to the pole and stuff like that and uh, gets stuck to it, you know, the cops are called. So I'm sure you've seen some pretty crazy things. What some of the what are some of the craziest things you have seen that you can't believe people actually tried to do? Well, um, let's see. Well, there's a lot of things, and I'm asked a lot of questions from people that read the book, and they say, did that really happen to you, or did you really do that? And to give you an example, like I, I one of the chapters is about DUIs and how to avoid them. And, you know, like I, I listed a bunch of things, ha, ha, what to avoid, and one of which was, you know, if you find yourself pissing on a mailbox with your keys in your hand, unable to locate your car, it's probably a good time to call a friend or Uber. So it, it's... um. You know, it's things like that, just common sense things that we can avoid. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one of the things that always amazes me about, you know, drunk people, when you are drunk, is that some people say that, you know, I can drive with a buzz and I'm not drunk, but you are drunk. And that's when you cause cause yourself to do stupid things. Um, What has been... So what are some of the things that you can that you can do to help avoid yourself getting a ticket other than just having um you know your your typical uh designated driver i mean obviously you know some of the things that you can do to maybe maybe eat uh drink something uh, is there anything that we can do to help ourselves not be as intoxicated if we go out and drink and drink i mean obviously we don't want them to drive period if they're drinking but what if they are going to do it is there something that they can do to help you know um you know, protect themselves, protect others? Oh, well, a lot of the chapters uh, are named after things that my father has said. And one of the things he said was, 
nothing good comes nothing good can come from staying out past eleven o'clock at night. The later you stay out at night, the more chances you're gonna have more to drink, you're gonna have that extra drink that's gonna put you over the top. And on top of that, on your way home, if you're going home with the flow of traffic and you don't do something ridiculous, for the most part, you're not gonna get stopped. If you're going home after 11 o'clock, you've had a couple of drinks and there's less traffic, there's less fish in the stream. And, you know, like I put in the book, cops get bored too. So, you know, they, they're going for their coffee and they're going to jump in the car and they're going to drive around. And, you know, now they see you, you know, you hit the line a couple of times and they want to stretch their legs and you're going to get pulled over and you're going to lose your driver's license or, or worse. Well, what are some of the things inside the book also that that you talk about other than just you know DUIs and and other things? What are some of the topics that uh, you that you put in this uh, in your book? Well, one of um one one of the chapters is called "Murder Is Forever," and I kind of I mean in my twenty years in law enforcement and growing up in the Bronx where I saw a lot of things, there's basically three things that can get you killed: money, love or a slight, like an insult. Mm-hmm. And those those three things, you know, one way or another, if you step into one of those three worlds, it, it's it's the fast track to get yourself killed. Why is that? Uh, I mean, wh- what is it so much about, you know, insults? You know, people are getting so wild up over, over an insult. It's just a word. Uh, you know, I don't know how many times I've been bullied my entire life, but... I never thought about killing somebody for, for saying something to me. I mean, what, what goes through people's heads in situations like that that makes them get to the point of wanting to kill somebody? Well, I'm sure most of the time it didn't start off that way. But when it reaches a boiling point, um, just to give you an example, one of the stories I tell in the book is when I was a kid, I was probably about 14 years old, we used to shovel snow and there was a guy that owned a business. You know, he's a, a thin guy, meat guy, and he used to pay us. We used to shovel his snow, and he became a successful business owner in the neighborhood. He bought a couple of properties, and um, him and this doctor were actually doing business deals with, with real estate. And they got into an argument one day, and it went to court, and um, something happened. The doctor went up to see the thin guy, and um, nobody knows for sure what happened, but what what we do know is the doctor beat the guy within an inch of his life and knocked a glass eye out of his head. And on the way out the door, the thin guy grabbed a pistol out of his desk, went downstairs and killed the guy. Now, I'm sure that doctor never in a million years thought that this guy, you know, successful business guy in the neighborhood, who's probably about 5'7 and 135 pounds, would kill him. But he underestimated him. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is you really never know what's going on in someone's head especially if you don't know the person. Right. Now, as a cop, you've probably come up in front of a lot of domestic disputes and arguments and stuff. What's, what are some of the things that you've told people to help calm them down or, or avoid a situation where it gets, so it doesn't even escalate to that? What are some of the signs that you can look for and say, hmm, this isn't going to turn out good. It's time for me to walk away. And how, what's some of the best ways to try to walk away before it escalates to that type of a situation? Well, you 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 nailed it. I mean, get away from that person. I mean, if it's you know, if like I put in the book, like especially domestically, if a if you know, if a guy hits you or a girl hits you, I mean, why would you hang around for seconds? It's not going to get any better. It's not going to stop. 
You know what I mean? At some point, they're going to get carried away, and, you know, you're either going to be made ugly or worse. Um, as far as, you know, I, I, I put in the book about, you know, going to a strange bar and, you know, God forbid you step on the wrong guy's foot or bump into a guy or spill a drink, and the guy just starts, you know, giving you the hairy eyeball, it's time to go. You know, it's, um, you gotta, you gotta swallow, if you want to live longer, you gotta swallow your pride. Do people have like less instincts that they, uh, now than they used to in the past? Because I've seen people, you know, that you could tell that they're, they're just signs all over the place that it's not going to go good, but yet they seem to just ignore it. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's an ego thing. I don't know if it's just that they have like no sense, common sense in their head. But I know that, you know, if somebody gives me a stink eye or something like that, I'm certainly not going to go up and say, Hey, you know, why are you doing that to me? You know, cause I know it's probably not going to end well. Um, but, I don't know what it is with people. I, I just sometimes I think that they just lost their common sense over the years, and I don't know what's why that is. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. Um, that you're right. That people just. I mean, when I was, you know, when I was a kid and you know, growing up, and you know, you, you, you picked your battles, and like you said, I think nowadays everything's a virtual world, and nobody really thinks it's going to happen to them. And, you know, it, it's, they're usually the last ones to know. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I watch cops all the time, and it amazes me with some of the things that people actually got stabbed over. Um, in, your, in, your, in your years of, of uh, being a policeman, what was some of the stupidest things that you saw people getting stabbed over or shot over or anything? Oh, I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather get shot than stabbed. I, I, the amount of injuries with a knife are terrible. Um, things that I've seen people get shot over. We arrest, I'll tell you a funny story. We arrested a, a kid one time with a gun and, um, the kid fought like hell with us. He tried to escape and all right, he's going to go back to jail for a couple of years. But I mean, he really was looking to get away from us. Well, it turns out the gun, once it got sent off to the ballistics, the gun came back to two shootings. So that was interesting enough. But then what we found out was it was two shootings with the same victim, different incidents. And what had happened was our bad guy had some baby's mama drama with the victim and went over there with this pistol and shot the guy in the ass. <laughs> well, the cops come and they interview the guy that gets shot in the ass and he's not going to, he doesn't want to talk to them because he wants to handle this in street court. So he figures he's going to get a gun now and, you know, return the favor. <laughs> well, our bad guy, I guess, was one of these guys. He was, you know, type A personality. He went back the second time and he killed the victim that he shot in the ass a second time with the same gun. So when we arrested him, you know, he got two slugs in, in, in a victim on two separate incidents. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And it's probably, like you said, it's probably over something stupid. But, you know, they just got these things where it's like, well, I got to, I got to, you know, it's a respect thing. I keep hearing that all the time. It's like, you, you looked at me wrong, so you disrespected me, and you did this wrong, and you disrespected me. And it's all about the respect, but I don't think people know what respect is. No, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's, um, I don't know. I see, I see, you know, all you got to do is go on YouTube. And, you know, it's, it's, it's young girls too. You, you can catch a video of, you know, a handful of, you know, 14, 15, 18 year old girls beating the shit out of each other, pulling each other's hair and scratching each other. And you're right. It's about respect. But I, at the end of the day, 
I don't think that they really understand what respect is. No, I don't. I don't either. Um, let's kind of talk about some of the things that you um, also have probably run into, and that is, uh, you know, desperation. I think desperation is probably one of the things that will get us killed very easily. Um, whether it be desperate for money and you, you know, go to the wrong person or you just kind of, uh, you want to get somewhere really fast and therefore you forget about all the, the, the rules of physics and end up doing some d- dumb things with your car or other, th- or other things. Um, what are some of the things that, uh, in desperity that people do that you've seen that maybe could lead to a, a major, a major, uh, problem? We had a call one time, and you, you want to talk about someone who thought they were desperate but really weren't. Uh, we, we went to a call one time in a nice part of town, and um, it came over as a woman jumping out a window. So, you know, the cops respond, and, and you know, the, the, this poor woman, and, you know, what appeared to be that she jumped out of a, you know, six or eight story window, I don't remember exactly, and, you know, into a head, she's, she's gone. Everybody goes up to the apartment, banging on the door, and this guy opens the door, and he's got scratches on his face, and he's got blood on him, and um, what happened? And, you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Why? <laughs> so, you know, everybody gets into the apartment, and the apartment's ransacked, and, you know, what happened? Nothing. And long story short, what it was is, I mean, you know, he was in his 50s, and he was well-to-do, and his sister was well-to-do, and their mother or father had passed away and left everything to the sister. I guess that wasn't sitting too well with him, so he invited her over, and, you know, after basically knocking her around the apartment, you know, he sent her downstairs without the use of an elevator. (laughs) Wow. And you know that's probably very common in uh, in New York City too, um, especially you know one of the things that that New York has been known for is mob activity, and you know loan sharks, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. And it, you know people don't understand where these people come from. They just like, oh, I need fast money. I'll just go down to the little local market here, market here, go to the back of the back room of this deli that should be a deli, but it's really not a deli, and they end up making a very stupid mistake. Um, and there's nothing probably worse than owing a loan shark money. Um, what, sh- what, what should people do instead of going to that type of route? Is there anything else that they could do that's, that's better for them that would you know, possibly end better in case they couldn't pay it back as opposed to having uh, you know, cement, cement shoes? <laughs> you know what? If you, if you need money that bad to pay for something, whatever, you, whatever you're borrowing the money for, you don't need. To get involved with those people, you know, over money or drugs, I'll give you a quick story I'm working on for my new book. Um, I work with two guys, well, I knew two guys, and um, they got called to a a basement apartment, and and it was a call for help. And they go down to the basement apartment, and there's two doors, actually two apartments, and the two cops knock on one door, and no one answers. So they go to knock on the second door, and uh, one of the part, one of the cops turns to the other cop and says, "Come on, we made enough noise down here. It's two in the morning. Whoever called the cops, this is nonsense." So they left. And what they didn't know was behind door number two were three people in there. The super in the apartment was selling coke and fell behind on his drug payments. So you know the drug dealer sent a couple of hitters over there. They had a, an attractive female knock on the door. She stood in front of the door. 
the super, you know, coked up, looks out the window. He sees this attractive female. He figures, you know, he's going to sell some coke. He opens the door. These two guys bum rush him. They pistol whip him. They beat him. And they shoot him in the head. Then what they do is they carry the super out and they throw his body in a furnace. Then they go back into the apartment. They're ransacking it when they hear the cops outside the other apartment. They devised this plan with the female, and they say, it's a railroad apartment, so basically they told the female, we're going to hide in this room. When they knock on the door, just start speaking in Spanish, or I forget, I think it was Yugoslavian, um, come into the, let them into the apartment and keep pointing to the kitchen. Once you get past the whole, once you get past the door that we're in, throw yourself on the floor and yell something, a code word, we're going to come out and shoot the two cops in the head. And then what they were going to do is they were going to throw the two cops in, in the furnace. They figured they already, you know, they're never getting out of jail to begin with, so what's two more cops? But luckily, you know, one guy begged the other guy, come on, it's, it's too late, you know, probably let's get a cup of coffee to stay awake, and they didn't knock on that door. Wow. Talk about being lucky. I mean, that's that just, right, unfortunately, that's, that's what you call dumb luck, because, I mean, that was just, you... You didn't know what to expect over there. You decided it's not it's not worth it. It's maybe just something inside of him saying, wait a second here, something's not right. And it was probably best that they did that. <laughs> well, there's actually a funny part of that story. The, the guy that begged the other guy off was a um, an amateur magician. And he was always practicing. You'd go to a bar and he'd be like cock blocking you, pulling you know, flowers out of, his, out of his sleeve and gold coins appearing behind girls' ears. So the running joke was he wanted to practice magic tricks in the car. In the car. <laughs> wow. So tell me a little bit about your book. Why did you decide to write this book? And uh, what's the, what's the what do you hope that people will get out of it when they're done reading it? I think they're going to laugh. I haven't had anybody read it yet and didn't think it was funny. Um, I always wanted to write a book. And I've always been told that I'm good with metaphors and I know how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. So I, once I retired from the police department, you know, I'm, I'm living in sunny Florida. I have the time. Let, let me try doing this. And um, anybody that's out there that's looking to write a book, it's a lot of fun, but it's a love-hate relationship. And, you know, I've said before, it's some days you can conquer the world and bang out 20 pages. And other days you want to pull your hair out with a set of vice grips. And I enjoyed it. It's it's a lot of fun. The whole process was an eye-opening experience. But it's just something I always wanted to do. And I, I said, you know, I'm getting older now. And, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, at the end of the day, I could say I wrote a book. Mm-hmm. And you picked a great topic for it. I mean, there's a lot of, like you said, dickheads and debauchery out there. I mean, it's everywhere. And it doesn't really matter where you go. But I'm sure, you know, in New York City, you've probably seen more than your fair share of those exact situations, because I know I have. You know, I didn't understand what the Manhattan Second meant until I saw it happen in front of my face. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, it's an amazing world up there. Oh, New York City, yeah, yeah. and especially to be a cop up there, it's 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 like having a seat at the greatest show, front row seat at the greatest show on earth. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you a quick little thing that happened to me. I took my wife up to um, 
we landed in Baltimore. We went to go see an Orioles game, then we went to a Phillies game, and then we went up to uh, Yankees to see a Yankees game. And when we were coming across the bridge, uh, coming into into Manhattan, there, it was there was so much traffic we almost couldn't make it, and we were already almost about forty five minutes late to the game. And when you get that late, you know the games are only about three hours anyway, so we we already missed about a good quarter of it. And it was the Red Sox Yankees. I didn't want to miss this one, so uh, we got in we got into the uh, Manhattan. I parked somewhere underneath a bridge in uh, in the Bronx, uh, one of the uh, one of the overpasses, and I was like. Oh God, you know, I locked my, I locked my doors and I just hoped to God when I got back, um, that I had four doors, four, uh, four tires and, and, a, and a couple of, maybe even the engine. That would have been nice too. And, um, my, my wife didn't quite understand why I was so, you know, uneasy throughout this entire game. But when I got back, I was very lucky to see that I had four tires, I had four doors and I had all my glass on there, but I did have an unexpected ticket, which I was actually very glad for, but I parked it in, in a bus. Uh, loading ramp or something like that. So they gave me a two hundred and fifty dollar ticket, but oh. it was definitely worth that because I could not find any places to park anywhere, and at least I knew somebody was watching that car. So <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, please just let me have the car because it's a rental car, you know." So I was like, "Just let me have all the parts to it, and I'll be happy when I get back." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll say this about New York. I mean, it is an unfair place. As far as those parking summits, is anybody that's thinking of going up there, you know, and you're going to rent a car or drive, don't use public transportation. It's um, you don't know the rules up there. The signs are all different, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's tricky. And it's not like getting twenty five dollars, like you said. You probably parked in, over by the Bronx Terminal Market, yeah, and you got thumped with yeah, blocking a loading zone. Yeah, I did, and it, it was it, like I said, it was pretty heavy, but at least I had a place to park. I knew it was watched you know but there was no signs anywhere i did not see do not park here do not park there or anything like that but it was uh it was an experience but um I, now i've driven through manhattan a lot of times before this isn't the first time i've driven through the bronx or anything like that so um i was kind of versed on it but this is probably the first time i was that late and that desperate to get to the uh to the stadium to see the game so um you know and like i said we were driving up from baltimore so i didn't really have yeah, place to really take. I we we took we parked there to take the public transportation, but it was just still in a bad spot. So it was definitely interesting. But you're right. You know, you got to know that you got to know the area, especially Manhattan, because it, it is crazy. Well, it's almost like I mean, to park in New York City, it's almost like going to a foreign country, mm-hmm. and you don't know what the signs mean because I mean, they're just, it's it's ridiculous. It's just it, sometimes I wonder if they don't do that on purpose for somebody that you know is new from out of town and. You know, they get you. Yeah, it's true. Well, we are just about out of time, so tell everybody how they can get your book and how they can find out the uh, about future books that you're putting out. Okay. Um, the book is called Dickheads and Debauchery and Other Ingenious Ways to Die by Vic Ferrari. Um, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble Online, and Smashwords. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at VicFerrari50, and I have a Facebook page, which is the name of the book, Dickheads and Debauchery. Well, thank you for coming on, and you know, thank you for the service to, that you've done to our country for as being a cop. And I know that people don't always thank people enough for it, but it is very important. And uh, telling us some of these great stories, and I hope that everybody out there realizes you got to you got to keep your eyes open. Don't do stupid things, and uh, don't try stupid things either, because I know I've tried enough of them, and I I'm surprised I'm still alive. So thank you for all you've done. You know, I cannot wait to see the the, the next book that you have coming out, and I wish you all the best. 
Thank you so much, Chase, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, guys, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we got so much more. Don't go anywhere. Jason Dowd of Imagination Art Studios is proud to announce the release of his steampunk collection, which is currently on tour across the country. There you will see beautiful handmade masks from Venice, Italy, that accentuate beautiful women to create amazing stories and feelings to those who visit the collection. Each photo series has a theme, mask, authentic props, and beautifully elaborate outfits, all collaborated in the mind of Jason Dowd to create the right emotion and feeling. The masks come from a shop at Epcot at the Italian Pavilion, where all these photos are on display for you to see. This is one of the biggest accomplishments of his career having his work at Disney. Come see the beautiful first release of the series, which includes Distressed Dancer, Spanish Serenade, The Pied Piper, and Reaching for the Czars. You can see them in person or online at www.imaginationartstudios.com. For more information, visit the website. Again, it's imaginationartstudios.com. Our Facebook is Imagination Art Studios. Twitter is at Dow Studios. And Instagram is at Jason Dow. Come and be mesmerized by the masks and the stories behind them. Hey, everybody, this is Jay Underwood from uh, the original Fantastic Four, Roger Corman's uh, early 90s production, and now the uh, documentary Doomed, and you are listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome back, everybody. It is the end of the show, and we are going to be closing it out here in just one second. But we would like to invite you to come back every week, every Friday, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on WKLAP.com. It's an internet radio station, so you can get it anywhere in the world that you have internet access to the internet. You can also find us on AMFM 247 Broadcasting Network. They have seven AM and FM stations across the United States, and you'll be able to find us on the internet there as well. So it's AMFM247.com, and we are also on iHeartRadio on demand. All you have to do is go up to the little search column if you haven't already subscribed to our show and type in the AME radio show, and it'll pop up. You subscribe to us, and as soon as a new episode is is populated, it will come right to your account. You'll be able to listen to it anytime. And actually, you can get a little bit of an advantage by going there because we do post that before the actual show airs. So it's kind of like a little bit of a VIP. If you want to hear it before everybody else, go to iHeartRadio and like us there as well. All right, guys. Also, coming up, we have a new contest that's coming out. And it's more of a feedback, but it's going to be going for the next two months. So in May of 2017, we're going to announce the winner. All you have to do is go to our social media platforms, which is Twitter, Facebook, and tell us what the most annoying children's show is. Now, I'm going to open this up not just to the shows that we enjoy today with our children, but also the, the shows that we had growing up. You know, Barney and 321 Contact, Reading Rainbow, uh, Zoobly Zoo, all those different ones. It doesn't matter when it was playing. I just want to know how annoying it was to you. What do you consider the most annoying child show out there? And I want to know why, if you want to, if you want to be able to say that too. It could be the theme song. The characters were stupid. The acting was terrible. The animation was terrible. The plot was terrible. I don't care. I want to know what that show is and why. And you have, uh, to this day, you have PBS. You have Nick Jr. You have uh, Disney, uh, Disney Jr., you have Disney Channel, and uh, let's see. I'll even throw in the Cartoon Network because some of those were pretty bad itself. So all you have to do is go on there and ha- do hashtag Most Annoying Kids Show AME. That's all you got to do. Most Annoying Kids Show AME, and we will check this out from time to time. And as it goes along, I want to see what your most annoying children's show is. This is going to be a lot of fun. 
And um, I, remember, the last one has to be in. I'm going to make it so that way it has to be by May 1st. Every count has to be done before May 1st. And then after that, we're going to announce the winner. So it should be a lot of fun. So go on there right now. Keep doing it every single solitary week. Tell your friends about it. I want a good poll. Let's, let's see what everybody thinks about what the most terrible show was for children growing up or that we have for our children growing up. All right, guys, that's all we have for you this week. Join us back next week, same time, same channel. We're going to be right here with you. More great guests, more great things to show you. Till then, keep those creative juices flowing. Good night, everybody. That's the end. We're done. Calm down, people. Calm down. Okay? That's it.